We all love to be right, but what do we do when we're wrong? Well, it turns out Dale Carnegie gave us some good advice almost 100 years ago today why Dale Carnegie was right about what to do when you're wrong. This is Coaching for Leaders, Episode 112. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing Human Potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly coaching show to help people be better leaders through improved communications, human relations, and personal productivity, the people side of business. And today we're tackling something that is true for just about all of us. Ah, Occasionally we're wrong. And what are we supposed to do when we're wrong? And uh, since this is such an important topic, I brought in someone that I have never wronged ever. And that is Bonnie Stahoviak. I see. And and also we joked that since I am wrong so much, it, it just seemed appropriate that I would be here. Expert guest. Oh, yes. <laughs> I am an expert. Hey, welcome back, Bonnie. Bonnie, uh, every time I talk to someone, uh, a community member, they always say, say hi to Bonnie. So hi. Hello. Glad to have you back. And so this is, this is an important topic because we are all wrong. And what do we do when we're wrong? And uh, as I was uh, thinking about this topic this week, I got back to thinking about Dale Carnegie's advice back in his book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And he said almost 100 years ago when the book was published, when you're wrong, admit it quickly and emphatically. Boy, that is not human nature, is it, Bonnie? I think for most people, it's not. So when I read this quote, the first thing I think of is for myself that it it can be difficult and it kind of depends on the climate. It depends on the organization and the level of trust there. But certainly, I mean, we when we look at even just our own relationship, we we certainly can laugh at ourselves. Fortunately, we still can keep our sense of humor, but yeah. even how difficult in our trusting relationship it can be sometimes to admit when we're wrong or even to identify what does it mean to be right? What does it mean to be wrong? But the other thing I think about too is that I think that he wrote from a perspective of being a male Caucasian and that sometimes I see people of color, I see women in particular, a lot of the negotiation research shows that sometimes people can, women can be overly apologetic. Mm. So the quote says, when you're wrong, admit it quickly and emphatically, but but I wouldn't want people to hear that and think, oh, I should go around apologizing all the time and that's going to make me respected. So I think it's really, there's a lot of richness there and a lot for us to unpack today. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that part of what you could take away from this conversation is just go around and telling people all the things you've ever done wrong. And that's not necessarily the right answer for a whole bunch of reasons. Branding, marketing yourself, your, you know, setting up the tone for how you show up in the organization. Um, You said something here a minute ago, which I think we should go back to for a second, which is the difference between right and wrong. And maybe we should say something about what it means to be right, first of all. And I think you might have some thoughts on this, on, on some of the different ways we can think about rightness and truth. Well, a lot of times people will will talk about, you know, I'm right. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the way that they perceive things. I remember I was teaching a class once and it was an online class and and not particularly designed well. I did not design it, so you can you can see me throwing whoever designed it under the bus here. But I was speaking over the phone with one of the women in the class and she was talking about 
another person in her group had attacked her and how terrible it was that she would just insult her in such a way in front of all of those people that were, they were working on some kind of a collaborative group writing project Mm -hmm. and that she would just embarrass her so much. And when I went and, and looked and cause she, I had, I had done my homework beforehand and had seen the different communication styles. And so this woman was definitely on more of the passive indirect style of communication. And the woman who had been commenting on her writing was much more direct and assertive. I would not even call her aggressive. I I would say assertive, but with our writing, things like that, when we present, when we create in the workplace, a lot of times we can forget that that we're separate and apart from that if we choose to be, that it can be something that can sit out there for people to really have feedback on. So at any rate, she said to me, I'll never forget, there's only one way to see this. Mm. There's only, and I thought, oh my goodness gracious, you're talking about something someone has written. You didn't even hear her voice. Yeah, You don't even have that much of a relationship. I think you've known each other all of two weeks now in this class. That's awesome. And you're convinced that there's only one way of perceiving what she was trying to communicate there. She was trying to take you down in front of all these people. And so I, I think back to, and I've heard variations on this. So different authors have written similar things, but the idea that there really are four kinds of truth out there. There's my truth. So there's the way that I perceive something and that ties up a lot. And when we think that we're right, for sure. And then there's your truth. And, uh, you know, many great leadership authors have talked about trying to see things from the other person's point of view. Dale Carnegie himself, in fact. Mm-hmm. Or my favorite is Jack Handy, who is the s- satire on Saturday Night Live, who said, oh, you yeah. should walk a mile in somebody else's shoes, because at least then you'll be a mile away and you'll have their shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm loosely great, paraphrasing that. Great leadership wisdom in yes. Saturday Night Live. Yes. yes. yes indeed. So anyway, I, I want that ability to see your truth and to hear your truth and to recognize that it could be quite different than my truth. And then the goal for us together, the third kind of truth is for us to create some kind of a shared shared truth together. Mm-hmm. And then there's the truth. And hardly ever do we ever actually get to see the real, real fact based because so much of what happens when we work together with others to accomplish goals is we kind of can get in our own way because I mean, we perceive things so different. We really are very different as people. Mm, that's interesting. So we can come to an agreement about what the truth is, that shared truth, but then still be totally off the mark of where we, what the actual truth or reality is. And uh, I can think of times that's happened where I've, <laughs> two people have gotten on the same page or I've gotten on the same page with someone else. And then we find out later we're both really in the wrong. So Yeah. Well, and I crack up too. Sometimes when we talk about budgeting for listeners, we have our uh, savings account but what Dave and I do is break up that savings account in an Excel spreadsheet just into what we're saving for. So mm-hmm. is it long-term wanting to save for our next vehicles? Because those are things that that we don't like to do payments on. So we save up over long periods of time. Or for listeners that might remember, we're having a baby in February. So Hooray. saving up for a baby and other types of, or taxes, house property taxes. Yep. And so... We laugh because we'll have these big discussions about which bucket is this cash going to either come from if we're if we're having a shortfall or is you know an excess of cash going to go. And it's hysterical because both you and I are perfectly logical in understanding 
it's just a savings account. It doesn't really actually matter which bucket it goes on on the spreadsheet. It's not actually connected to the account. But it's funny that's that that has created for us a shared truth, mm. which helps us get centered on what the long-term purpose might be for the cash that we are saving. Yeah, it's that's it's a great example. I hadn't even thought of that. It it, it really does you know, even if we're not, we don't ultimately do what we say we're going to do with that that money. Just getting in the same place is really, really helpful. Um, and and yet, as as leaders, I know a lot of the times, uh, at least I can speak for myself. There's many times that I've made bad calls on things and really been wrong about something. Mm-hmm. And it is it is. I think there's kind of two general paths to follow. One is to go down the path of, yes, I was wrong and let me correct it and admit it. Or let me try to cover it up a little bit and maybe nobody will notice. Mm-hmm. And I, I was when we were thinking about uh, planning the show, I was thinking about a situation, Bonnie, that happened with one of our clients. Uh, I was It was about two or three years ago. One of our clients had approached us um, with this great idea to come and um, to have a a kind of a community within the organization that would be a a community group of all the people that had done work with us. And so it was this great kind of community of practice and get a whole bunch of people together. Um, And it was a a Dale Carnegie uh, uh, group. And when I first heard about the idea, I thought it was a really, really cool idea. And I didn't think it would ever work. I didn't think that the just the restrictions that we had working with that client. I didn't think the brand name. I, I just there was for a whole bunch of reasons the logistics just weren't going to work. And so while I was willing to help them out, I sort of said, you know, I just I just don't think this is going to happen. And they went through this whole process to get it approved, and I I was helpful, but I wasn't super enthusiastic about it working out. And it turned out that it turned into something even bigger than I ever imagined it would be. And now we joke about it. And anytime I talk with people about putting it to, putting it together, I say, you know, I, I was completely wrong. I mean, it goes mm-hmm. to show you what I know. Here I thought for sure this was never going to work, never going to happen, didn't put forth a lot of effort into it. And it turns out I was completely wrong about it. So now almost always anytime that topic comes up, or we talk about being wrong about something or we're doing advanced planning. I'll bring that up just as an example. Um, for one, just because I think it's funny and I think it provides some humor, but also I, I really am trying to be intentional about showing that, you know, I'm I don't make the right call all the time. And I I want to, you know, when I do make a bad call, I want people to know that I'm human and that mm-hmm. I I make mistakes. And I think that that's something that, you know. Um, in that situation, it was a little easier because it was not a as high visibility thing as other things have been. But I, I, you know, I think that that was really helpful, and, and as a result, has helped that organization to continue to move forward because we can joke about it and have fun with it and move on and do some really productive things with it. Which I think is one of the things that gets in the way if we we are stubborn and we try to hang on to being right about something when really we aren't right about something. Our pride can get so much in the way. And of course, one of the things is why is it so hard for us to admit when we're wrong? Mm -hmm. Why is it so hard to follow this advice from Dale Carnegie? And one of the things when we talk about what does it mean to be right is that I think that a lot of times people think of that as the logic that, you know, you've, you've input some different variables and then it's like math. There's the answer. And so it it has to be right because I'm right. And so it's it's this view that is very 
black and white. And one of the problems is that that people listening to this show and you and I, Dave, are are in leadership roles. Mm-hmm. And it the world does not work that way. Most of us are working through other human beings and very complex. And what happens is they talk about the quality of a decision, the quality of that outcome, what makes for an effective decision. And the only variable in that equation is not the logic or the rational decision being made. So it's not that we can just put in the the facts and, and outcomes, a nice effective decision. The challenge here is that people are going to be involved in executing on that decision. Mm. And so the acceptance that people have of the way that you're trying to influence them toward is going to be a factor in overall the quality of the decisions that get made and just yeah. how right you actually <laughs> wind oh, up yeah. being in the long run. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's, it's funny. I think so much of my work, and I know yours too, is so many gray zones and different shades of gray. And I really sometimes ad- admire and I'm jealous of some of my technical clients of how a lot of their work is very black and white. You know, the number adds up or it doesn't, uh, the test worked or it didn't, yeah. uh, we passed this milestone or we didn't, the code did, you know, completed the operation and we made the delivery or it didn't. And, uh, and, and at the same time, those are some of the clients that I work with that often struggle with those, dis- the, the admitting when they're wrong and the people side of leadership because that gray zone sometimes is hard to manage because it's not just about the logic and that's not the only thing that goes uh, goes through it and i think that this is you know if if you think about the best manager you've ever had um and whenever i'm coaching people i always we always come back to this at some point we talk about what's the best manager you've ever had think about that person Think what they did well. How did they handle situations when they were wrong about something? And almost always, uh, people will say, well, you know, that person was willing to admit when they were wrong. They were willing to be human. Uh, Yes, they made very good decisions most of the time, but they were also willing to admit when they were wrong and they they were authentic and they were willing to say, yeah, I, I, I messed up on something. And that that overall really actually helped increase their credibility as someone that they felt comfortable being led by. And I think that brings us to you know, some of the reasons that really as leaders, not only, I, I think, is it the right thing to do to admit when we're wrong, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but there's some real benefits to doing that too. And yeah. it's not just because it's the right thing to do or it's the ethical thing to do, which of course it is, but what are the real benefits to doing that? And I think one of them for sure is that if you are willing to admit when you're when you're truly wrong about something is that you are able to advance immediate progress on organizational goals. Absolutely. It 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 can propel well, I should, it, it it in and of, in and of itself can help you avoid the speed bumps along the way. Mm-hmm. Because inevitably we're going to be wrong along the way and so if we can quickly do that emphatically and quickly, then we can keep moving. We don't get stuck. Yeah, and it, it's one of those things too that if 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 you're wrong about something and it's apparent to everyone else, it's kind of like the emperor without the. Cl- mm. uh, I totally messed up this. Uh, the emperor has no clothes. Yes, emperor with no a naked emperor. <laughs> <laughs> now you've messed me up. But yes, yes, I think everyone knows yeah, the yeah. story. Everyone knows the if story. If you don't know the story, look up. 
look up. The emperor has no clothes, but probably maybe just on Amazon. Or don't Google naked. Don't Google, don't Google naked emperor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we would advise against that. But I, I can think of an it's organization. It's a family-friendly show. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. G-rated. Um, I can think of a organization I'm working with right now where the man, there's a manager who is wrong about something. And it's kind of apparent to everyone else in the organization, but it's not really apparent to the manager yet. And they haven't, or if they are, if it is apparent to them, they haven't really talked about it openly. And as a result, no one's willing to touch it. Mm-hmm. No one's willing to broach the subject. And unfortunately, it's keeping the organization from moving forward because nobody wants to point out that the manager's wrong. And, and you know, no sane person is going to do that, you know, from an organizational politics standpoint. And most people perceive that to be a pretty career limiting move. We had a new leader take over at the university where I work and in a very senior position. And he, when the, he first got up and addressed the faculty, he, he said very openly, I am going to be wrong. Just get ready. Because it was one of those things where people really celebrated him being in his new role. So it was kind of, he was making some jokes, but at the same time being serious about, hey, we're on our honeymoon here. And just so we're all clear, I'm going to be wrong. Mm. And then I loved it because he followed up with it and said, and I'm really going to say a lot of things that are going to lead you to think that there's no way I could possibly be wrong in my own mind. And I thought, how wonderful, because he really has a strong personality. He, I mean, I think that's wonderful. Yeah. I, I think leaders can be extremely effective when they have strong personalities and really struggle when they don't. So I am not criticizing him for that, but he has strong opinions and he will assert them. And he, in fact, his PhD is in oh, social ethics or something like that. So mm. he's he's used to having a good, healthy debate around topics in, from a very theoretical and and philosophical approach. And so I just thought that was wonderful, kind of inviting people along the way to say, to challenge him and to know that he'll challenge back. It's in his nature, mm. but that that doesn't mean he's not going to be wrong and that he doesn't want to hear it. Now that his work is not over from that one speech, because this is an ongoing thing that has to happen. And one of the other benefits that we've looked at, Dave, is the drive that it helps us toward innovation and more creativity when we're not so worried about being right all the time. Yeah, and that's the thing, is if if you make a mistake in a management position and it's a public mistake and it's not talked about or acknowledged or it's kind of swept under the rug, more the often than not, people notice that. They see it, They even if it's not talked about. And the unintentional message then we send as a manager is, well, um, I didn't talk about it. It's not safe to talk about. So risk-taking in our organization isn't something that we should do, isn't something that I value, isn't something that uh, I'm comfortable with. And so unfortunately, we really stifle innovation and creativity if we're not giving people that permission to be able to make a mistake or to be wrong on occasion. And so many organizations that are successful today have made have made so many mistakes and have been wrong about many things. And every successful organization makes mistakes in order to get to the right answer. And so if, if we're not willing to talk about when we're wrong and not willing that to be part of our culture, then we miss all that opportunity for people to be courageous to make a mistake. Another of the benefits is that you can help inspire people to move forward. We've talked before on the show 
Although I don't think once is enough, I think for, for even just you and I, Dave, if we're just sitting here having a conversation, the idea about admitting we're wrong is not just admitting we're wrong, but actually then talking about how we're going to avoid having something like that happen in the future. We've talked about it in context of making apologies. Yeah. We but, did talk about that. But the idea here would be that I don't just say, gosh, sorry that happened. I was wrong. But if it's something that could potentially come up again, if we can acknowledge the part that we played in it happening and what we're going to do differently in the future, if that's appropriate for the given situation, it kind of depends on what you're wrong about as to whether or not this fits. But that helps people not get tied up. Even if you do apologize, and even if you truly mean to say that you are wrong, part of then becoming right in the future is how it won't happen again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this this makes me think, you know, as far as inspiring people to move forward, um, you know, I think to back, I think to leaders that I know that have admitted some of their mistakes that they've made. And I don't know about you, but I always find that really very motivating and very, I feel more connected to that person. I feel like they're more authentic when I've heard about something that didn't work for them in the past. It, it doesn't even need to be a current thing. They, you know, I've heard people tell stories, you know, two, three, five, ten 10 years ago about something that they made a mistake on, which by the way, is a really, I think is a really good thing in leadership to once in a while, tell a story about something you didn't do well. And, to, and that gives people permission to really connect with you. But for me, I've always found that when I hear about someone's failures and then I see them in a, doing something really successfully in a very successful position, having been very effective, I think to myself, wow, failure is part of the journey of being a good leader, of being a good manager. And if you don't fail once in a while, that you're probably not taking some courageous risks. You're probably not willing to um, push the envelope a little bit. And so I always find that really interesting when I hear from people and I'm, I'm less impressed with people that kind of look just perfect on paper and always talk about their successes. I, I want to hear some of the things that didn't work for them because then that, that makes me feel like I have permission to do some, do some creative things and to take some risks and to, and, and also to realize that leadership is not a perfect, you know, a, a to Z course. It's not a straight line. It, it zigzags just like climbing up a mountain and getting to the peak, you know, there's the ups and downs and the valleys. And that that's that's just such an important part of of the journey of becoming an effective leader. I'm thinking to a class that I'm teaching right now. We've had a number of guest speakers come in, and I'm thinking about the ones that really resonated with the students, and they're ones who were told stories of their careers in a very transparent way, mm. with some serious valleys, or even in one particular case of how their career had created some real pitfalls in his personal life and just the power that that was. I, I don't often see my my 18 to 22 year olds midway, more than midway through the semester as energized for in a three hour afternoon class as I've been seeing lately. But it's amazing the kind of inspiration you can create for people when you are willing to tell stories of failure, mistakes in a very transparent and authentic way. It's really interesting that we all or I shouldn't say all of us, but a lot of us really resonate with that. And that's really captivating and interesting to listen to because I don't know if it's just that that isn't talked about as much or most people aren't as authentic or transparent as they could be around that, or we just don't hear that in a lot of venues. Um, it's just interesting that we really latch on to that. A lot of us, if we hear s some of that, and again, <laughs> don't, don't go out and just tell people all week long of all the things you've done wrong necessarily. But uh, you know, 
being able to be transparent when the time's right about something that you haven't done effectively, particularly if someone that you manage is struggling with that same thing right now and you can help them to along that path. I've always found that to be really, really helpful of being an effective leader. So, you know, I think Dale Carnegie's advice here is good is when you're wrong. And of course, when you're wrong, not just for any reason, but when you're wrong, admit it quickly and emphatically. Thanks for having me talk about how wrong we both are. (laughs) Anytime. (laughs) Some of the time. Every time I air a show, I'm always thinking in the back of my mind, okay, what's a good solid action item that you can take away and put into practice immediately so you can get results? So for all the obvious reasons, I don't think going out and messing up a whole bunch of stuff this week in order to tell people what you did wrong is the way to approach this. Uh, That said, I also don't think coaching others on this is probably the place to start either. This would be a harder topic to coach someone else on of trying to get them to tell people about all the mistakes they've made. So here's what I would suggest, and and this is actually the way I use this the most, is when I'm leading someone or managing them in a particular role and they're struggling with something, or maybe they've even made a mistake or even a even a big mistake on something that I've had some experience with before and and actually I've made some of the similar mistakes before, or even made a worse mistake in taking on a new task or new responsibility, or maybe the person's handling a difficult issue with someone. And you know, I've had a similar situation where I handled something like that and it, it didn't go well for me. Um, I find that one of the best ways to utilize this principle is, you know, when you're wrong, admit it quickly and emphatically, is sometimes to talk about some things that you did wrong in the past when someone else is struggling with that. And I found that from a leadership standpoint, that can be really helpful to re-engage people is to, when they hear that someone else who has, uh, you know, maybe is further along in their career or is in a leadership position, uh, has struggled with something similar, maybe even struggled with it more than they did, being able to talk about that, have some dialogue, I found is is really helpful when people have done that with me. And I often find that I I try to do that with others. So if they're struggling with something, I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll think about, you know, what's a time that I struggle? Is there a time that I struggled with? Obviously don't make one up if there isn't one, but uh, is there a time I've struggled with this? And if there is, you know, what's a story or an example that I can share with this person that helps them to realize that they're not in this, you know, in this alone. And that's something that I found really, really helpful. So that'd be my call to action for you this week is to find an opportunity, uh, you know, even if hopefully you don't mess up it up this week, if you do, you know, there's an opportunity, of course. But, um, you know, if you find someone else struggling with something, think about what's a time you've struggled with, with that or something very similar to it. And how can, by you sharing some of your experience, perhaps help that person and keep them motivated to continue to move forward? Because, you know, it's not about whether you're going to make mistakes in the things you're doing, we're all going to make mistakes. Man, I've got a whole list going from last week for myself. Uh, it's it's how you recover from the mistakes, you know. It's how you work through the obstacles. And 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 if we're in a, if we have the privilege to lead others, if we can help them to work through that faster, man, that's great for people. That's really great for people, and they don't feel like they're alone. And I think any day that we can do that for someone, 
That's a great day. So I'd love to hear your feedback as well. As I mentioned last week, I've set up a new page for all the feedback, all the ways to give feedback rather than me giving you the phone number, or email address, all that every week. So uh, the easiest way to do that is go to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback, and you can reach out with a common question or feedback for me or for the show or the community. And if you're looking for the show notes for this episode specifically or want to comment on this episode specifically, that's at coachingforleaders.com slash 112. Speaking of which, we Bonnie and I did mention uh, a previous podcast, and the title of that podcast was How Authentic Leaders Apologize. We had talked about the three-step apology process in a past show. So if you have just been listening recently, that's a great show to go back and listen to. And and when we mentioned that, I was thinking, gosh, that was probably you know two or three months ago we recorded it. Believe it or not, it's been more than a year. I couldn't believe it when I looked in the episode list here, but uh, it's back in episode number 54. So the easiest way to get there is just go to coachingforleaders.com slash 54. So that's how authentic leaders apologize. Bonnie and I looked in detail those three steps of how to do that. So check that out. Hey, uh, I am still looking for folks to chat with for just a few minutes. I'm doing this R&D project for my uh, for the first course for the Coaching for Leaders community that's going to launch in early 2014. And I'd love to chat with you if you've been listening to the show for you know any length of time. And by that, I mean at least one episode. So, hey, you're, you qualify already if you're listening to my voice. Um, but if you've been a manager for less than two years or around that time frame, and you work for an organization that has at least 25 people in it, I'd love to chat with you, learn a little bit more about some of the uh, experiences you've had in the last couple of years or as, as you become a manager, because I am working on a course that's going to help with that. And I'm trying to get as much feedback as possible from folks so that uh, I can really put together something that'll be very resourceful. So if that is of interest to you and you'd love to connect with me personally, I would just love to chat with you. Send me an email to feedback at coachingforleaders.com. And in the subject line, just put R&D. And I'll send you an email back with some more information. And if it works out to connect, I would love to connect with you. So uh, please take a moment to do that if that's something that would be of interest to you. And I mentioned on last week's show as well that we're going to have an upcoming guest from the Lyft app, the founder of Lyft, which I spoke about on episode 109 is going to be here in just a couple weeks. And I'd love to find out if there's a, for those of you who may be using the app already, which I know a few of you in the community are, because you've connected with me and thank you for those who have done that. Um, But if, if that's something that you have an interest in, I would love to know about maybe a daily habit you'd like to take action on because we'll put together a community plan for a new daily habit when the founder joins us here on the show in just another week or two. So if that sounds like something of interest to you, again, just drop me a line, coachingforleaders.com slash feedback, and that's a great way to get in touch. And uh, one uh, final note here is uh, a whole bunch of folks have joined the community and started listening to the show in the last month or so. You know, the community has continued to grow. More and more people download the show every week. I'm I'm really, frankly, really surprised at, at how many people have uh, have continually uh, helped grow this audience. So thank you. If you've ever mentioned this show to someone else or shared this show with someone else, I, I so appreciate that. And for those of you who have connected recently, I just want to let you know I'm so glad to have you as part of the community, even if we haven't talked yet. And if there's anything I can do to help, uh, let me know. And I'd really love to hear from you and just hear about your story, what uh, 
attracted you to the show? And what, if anything, that I can do to be helpful in future episodes? And the best way to do that is just go to coachingforleaders.com, connect with me on whatever social media platform you like, Twitter, LinkedIn. I'd love to connect with you or send me an email and that, uh, and I'd love to get the conversation going and find out more about how I can serve you and, uh, and start the dialogue. Hey, a huge thank you to Andar Molinari, Nanette Hall, and a whole bunch of other folks whose names I didn't get, but subscribe to my weekly update this past week. I do publish an update each week that will give you a booster shot between the shows on how to lead better by giving you some advice and some action on improving your communications, human relations, or personal productivity. If you'd like to get in your inbox, just go to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. Plus, you'll get access right away to a video overview I put together a while back and a downloadable guide on the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others. By the way, if you've listened to that before or grabbed the list and you've read one of those books, I'd love to hear from you too and just learn what was helpful to you and how you used it and uh, and just celebrate with you if you've had a great success. Hey, have a great week, everyone, and I'm looking forward to talking with you next Monday. Take care.